everybody, and welcome to the Energy Connection Podcast, brought to you by My BFF Social. This podcast is dedicated to providing thought leadership regarding topics across the energy industry. The views and opinions expressed by the host belong solely to themselves and are not a representation of any other groups or individuals. If you love to dive deep into the world of energy, listen in here. Good day. This is Phil Oren with Energy Connection, and thank you for joining us. I'm back in the office today, and I'm sharing some time with uh, another partner in crime. Andy, good morning. Good morning, Phil. Uh, this is Andy Hunefeld. I'm not in the office. I'm at my home office, and we're joined today also in his home office by uh, Steve Willens across town here in Louisville. Steve, thanks for joining, and how are you doing? Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm doing well. I uh, last set foot in the office on March 11th, so uh, it's been home office ever since i've stepped foot back in the office but it's to, to pilfer supplies and, <laughs> and equipment i've got all three of my monitors here from the office i got a desk chair at the beginning of the pandemic i, I took a big thing of hand sanitizer because i thought you know this might be worth some money or something like that i might need to sell it to a, 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 a black band of, of thugs in the post-apocalypse world or something but thankfully it didn't come to that but yes, I haven't worked from the office since March 11th either. Well, in uh, Pittsburgh, we've uh, I think we have Doug is about the only one that's here daily, and uh, three or four salespeople float in and out uh, as needed. But uh, I have some some additional meetings today and got some work to do, so I thought it would be a a fine place to hold uh, our podcast today. So. A couple of things we were talking about, uh, obviously, the weather, what's going on in uh, the Gulf and the fires in California. And I thought we'd want to maybe talk about California first and we'll get a weather update and see how that's affecting uh, how we think it might affect the energy markets in natural gas and power. But yeah. yeah, it's been it, just the past, what, three weeks, Steve, it's been extremely hot out west. We've got wildfires, we've got a big heat wave, and we've seen some uh, craziness in the California ISO. Um, what's happening out there? Yeah, the heat wave was deep and, ex- and extensive throughout the west, and that has uh, compounded by, <laughs> my humble opinion, uh, some pretty poor uh, planning and forecasting out there uh, has dramatically impacted the power market. Uh, Many of you have heard about, read about the rolling blackouts, and those are not related to the fires. So you have the pandemic going on, you have the wildfires that are extensive as any have ever been, and then you have the heat wave that's causing rolling blackouts. So people are hunkered down in their homes and don't have air conditioning and, and other things. So thankfully the blackouts were confined to a couple of days and I, I never did see the exact number of hours, but it's something that just shouldn't happen. And uh, we can talk a little bit about what uh, I'm seeing and hearing is root causes and, and uh, some facts, some opinion as to uh, the causes and the solutions. Yeah, so isn't it you know, kind of incumbent on California ISO to 
ensure that doesn't happen, right? And that in that kind of one of their mandates is to make sure that there's enough generation assets to to meet big demand days. That's kind of the whole point. Yes, the the number one role of the RTO or ISO. Uh, those are interchangeable, is to manage the grid and ensure reliable power is available. And the, out there, there are certainly uh, a lot of political uh, issues going on and, and politics, of course, comes into play. And uh, California is as aggressive as it comes in terms of sustainability and the move to renewables and carbon-free uh, generation and carbon-free society, which I support 100%. But again, the RTO's number one role is reliability. You know, the market structure and the uh, wholesale financial side is next in line, is you know, number two on the list. And they failed at number one. So what, what led to that failure? Uh, the governor wrote a letter to the... Cal, Cal ISO, the California uh, Public Utilities Commission and the California Energy Commission, all that have roles to play out there, uh, demanding to know what's what what happened, what went wrong, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there was a letter back to the governor from those three entities jointly. And well, you know, one of their first comments was our move to renewable, uh, renewable power had nothing to do with this. And all I can do is scoff at that. That's a, you know, that's <laughs> that's exactly what's going on. Um, I, uh, I I'm a hundred percent behind decarbonization. I'm a believer in you know global warming. Um, and my premise from years ago on global warming was if we're wrong about it, we spent some money that we didn't need to spend. If we're right about it you know, about global warming, we're trying to avert, you know, a global disaster. And, you know, so uh, to me, the risk and reward, and you're the risk guy, uh, you know, puts, says you have to do something about it. But yeah. you also have to use some rational planning and rational thoughts. And, you know, there was items in the uh, article that talked about, uh, you know, they, they, this one article mentioned California shut down 5,000 megawatts of gas-fired power uh, plants, and they have plans to bring on energy storage to help meet these shortage shortages and, and peak days. But how do you shut something down before you have its replacement in place? You know, that's right. like, uh, you know, my car is a polluter, so I'm going to go buy an electric car. And because I don't want to, you know, hurt the environment, I'm just going to junk my car, uh, you know, and, and I'll buy a car later this year. Uh, yeah, it's like, sure. well, how am I getting around between now and then? And so their solution was to borrow someone else's car. You know, their solution has been, we're going to go carbon free here, but we're going to import power from our neighbors. Well, what happens when your neighbors need their car? And that's exactly what happened. This heat wave is extensive. All the neighbors needed their own car, their own power. So there was nothing to available to import. And that left them without a car and left everybody stranded electrically. That's a really good analogy. Um, 
So what I guess when you say that they shut down those gas assets, was that kind of a mandate from the ISO to shut them down? Because my understanding is that basically normal course of business, the grid is so well supplied from solar during the day that these gas units aren't needed and they're just going out of business and 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 shutting down because more market forces. Um, it, it, am I off base there? In in much of the country, in California, yeah, in much of the country, that's true. In California, that's not my understanding, and I'll admit I haven't dug into this in detail, and I've really been trying to read up a lot more about it. But I think it's more politically motivated, you know. And again, moving to carbon-free power, but um, I don't think those gas assets were out of market. I think it was a a decision to replace the gas assets with solar with storage with imports now <laughs> of course if the imports aren't carbon free uh, what are you gaining there but but they know very well what happens every day they they coined the term the duck curve where solar power just comes roaring into place you know through the day and peaks in the middle of the afternoon and then drops off you know very rapidly as the sun sets and you have to have the resources to pick up the load after that now you know when you're in the summer the load drops off too but it doesn't drop off anywhere near as fast as the solar sure. assets dropping off so you're you need those gas assets and right. in in most rtos and and again i haven't studied the Cal ISO in detail, most R RTOs, if a company wants to shut down a power plant, take it offline, say, hey, it's out of market, you know, I'm losing money here, the RTO can require you to keep it online for, you know, keep it available for reliability, and they'll pay you extra just to have it there. It's called resource adequacy, and every RTO has those rules. I don't know what I, I don't know enough to know for sure what went wrong out there and why there wasn't sufficient capacity. And all I can surmise is incredibly poor planning and forecasting. You know, so one of the have... one of the article statements that just killed me was that that uh, the grid operators were caught off guard by the region wide heat wave. And my only thought was it's called global warming. You know, every year we are setting a new record for the heat worldwide. And one of the things I've read multiple times about is that it's the extreme heat more than, say, the average temperature day by day. The averages are going up, but the extremes are also increasing, just like all the sure. weather events. I saw that in Death Valley, they had a recorded temperature of 131, highest yeah. recording. Ridiculous. I read that too. So that, that's, I mean, that's interesting out there because I, and I'm, I'm not in that market as much as I am uh, some of the Eastern markets either, but the way I understand the quote unquote capacity market there is that it's, it's kind of operated under over the counter deals um, where basically if you're signing a bilateral agreement with a, a supplier to buy power, there's going to be a, charge on that agreement that accounts for adequacy or resource adequacy. Um, 
And right. I'm not, again, I don't think it's a very transparent market anyway, but I, I'm definitely not familiar with exactly how that works. But it doesn't sound like it worked. <laughs> in this case. <laughs> I agree. Obviously, it's not working well. And uh, either whether the, it's the bilateral nature of it or whether it's the way uh, things are priced, there seems not to be enough incentives. Or maybe there are... Uh, carbon restrictions in terms of what kind of power can come online. I, I don't know enough exact details either, but you know, other markets like PJM where all of us are based and uh, uh, MISO mid Midcontinent, New York, New England have more formal capacity markets and capacity prices tend to be higher. Uh, but it's, it's a market-based capacity it's a capacity market that get, provides that resource adequacy whereas uh in california it's like you say it's not as transparent it's bilateral behind the scenes and something's not working yeah i'm trying to think of anything else you know besides the power grid that needs to be planned around you know the the outlier dates right i mean because what they've got is sufficient 99.99 percent of the time but you just need to that other 0.001% or whatever um, is where it all falls apart. And I don't know if there's anything else in life or society that is, is planned around just those extremes to meet, to meet that type of uh, an event, but true. Our power grid. Yeah, true. And, and I've thought about this and, and look, if society agrees that, look, you know, we just can't afford a 100% system and we're going to tolerate, the occasional blackout and outages and that's the world we live in and people understand they need their own backup generators or their own plan for shedding load um you know i i can get on board with that but you know there was lack of communication lack of planning yeah. um you know a lot of things came into play here and you know there are demand response programs that pay people to to shed load and obviously that program out there is not strong enough uh to meet this need it's kind of like um the not like satellite tv back before everybody just streamed all their uh the events they'd be like well we're you know 99 percent of the time we're reliable and then it's that that one day when you're trying to watch monday night football and there's a storm yeah. coming in and your your signal cuts out and at that point you don't care that it's 99.9 percent .9 reliable because you need to see the end of this game yeah, and what if it's the Super Bowl? <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. So I'm still surprised in California that they didn't have a few of the gas plants come back on. I mean, they they had to have some type of operational standards there. It just still baffles me in 2020, crazy year that it is, that they weren't prepared for the longest, hottest summer on record, you know, just yeah. doesn't make sense. And and let me be clear, they do still have a lot of gas fire generation out there. They're not 100% carbon free. They're trying to get there faster than anyone else. You know, California wants to lead the world. And I'm like I say, conceptually, I'm on board with that. But you can't permanently, you know, if you permanently shut down uh, a plant and it's not staffed, then it's not available, you know, right. on those on those peak times, those days. So, you know, I, offhand, 
I have no idea if any of those, that 5,000 megawatts, and I'm sure there's a lot more, you know, that was just a recent trend, a re very recent trend. You know, are there plants that could be brought back to a ready mode uh, to help with this transition to carbon free? Yeah, well, at least nobody mentioned Enron. <laughs> there you did. You just did. <laughs> well, Enron, I can officially say Enron was not the cause of this. Yeah, not this time. But, uh, I mean, it still has a bad taste in the energy world, that name. That's for sure. It does. But there were some yeah. market structure issues that allowed it. And it, oh. it was a learning curve, right? It was, uh, you know, yeah, the, world was, the world was changing and, and greed finds a way until, you, <laughs> until we can counter it. But that still has a resonating effect out there. I mean, I think Enron is the, the, the root cause of why California ISO is kind of taking these baby steps into deregulating the whole state, right? Because there's so many people sure. that, are, that are leery of it. Well, they backed off, yes, but that still is, to me, that doesn't have anything to do with rolling blackouts. That, yeah, no, no, know, no, no, that, no. That, that affects price. <laughs> right, and it affects, you know, if I want to get on a third-party power rate in California, I've got to participate in a lottery. I can't just choose to do so because they're phasing it yeah. in so gradually. Yes, yes. I still don't understand why uh, they just don't run like the PJM, all these other ISOs. I, you know, maybe I'm just naive, but uh, it sure seems to work in a heavy industrial area. Well, yeah, I think PJM and Steve can talk better to this, but they're, they seem to be the model. And when Mexico went to deregulate their power markets and they've kind of reeled it back a little bit uh, with the new administration that came in, PJM was um, the, the market that they tried to model it after. Right. Uh, it seems to be a good standard, but maybe I'm ill-informed there. Steve, what do you think? I, I like the PJM structure, um, but there are issues going on there now with, uh, you know, politics gets in the way, right? You know, to me, free markets work. To me, um, <clears throat> uh, boy, I'm fumbling here. <laughs> Go edit that out. Hopefully not. To me, the PJM markets work, but politics gets in the way. And then you have the state subsidies now that have caused a pause in the oh. PJM capacity auctions. Mm -hmm. So we should have had two more auctions and a couple incremental auctions uh, you know, uh, completed by now for 2022 and 2023. And, and all we have set now is 2021. We have no capacity market you know, pricing beyond that. And they're still fighting their way through it. So but in general, yeah, I'm on board with the PJM structure three years in advance. New England is probably the most similar. New York is more of a seasonal auction. And I don't know how you plan when you only know what's going on uh, in terms of capacity prices six months at a time. But uh, <laughs> I guess you follow trends. Well, all I see is, you know, this year we've had some pretty good heat in the east as well. And the highest I've seen PJM day ahead was maybe what $38 or something like that, 40 maybe on a day or two. And we haven't tested capacity at all. Um, I don't know, it just seems like that market and even ERCOT, ERCOT in Texas, we've only seen one 
big week of, of prices and the summer's not over yet, but um, every place else seems to be handling the summer. All right. California is the outlier from my perspective. True. True. Although Texas, you know, has had skyrocketing prices the last couple of summers. And it is yep. interesting that that didn't happen this year. And I haven't dug in to find out why, but, but ERCOT has no capacity market and you, and they have struggled with reserve margins as well. So I put them closer to the California situation or even worse. Yeah, definitely. Um, but but with Texas, a lot, they have a t most, the vast majority of their renewables is wind as opposed to solar. So you don't have that duck curve effect in Texas the way you do in California with such a high percentage of the power coming from solar. And that doesn't yeah. even count the behind the meter solar that the the ISO yeah. out there has no insight into. You do have, and I think what causes the big price spikes in Texas is when it, it's the bad combination of very hot and the wind's not blowing. Right, that's, and that tends to go doing. hand in hand. <laughs> right, right. If the wind was blowing, it wouldn't be so hot. Yeah, that's why you, know, that's why wind, you can have. Yeah, you can have. $5,000 a megawatt hour during the day and negative $100 a megawatt hour overnight because there's so much wind overnight that's not needed. <laughs> They've also got a lot of gas generation in Texas, too. They um, do. They do. Absolutely. So I digress. Um, what else is going on, guys? Well, you know, the, speaking of Texas, we ought to take a look at the weather map and uh, – Get a thought or two about uh, the energy market and all the the stuff going on with uh, Hurricane Laura being a timely piece, and we know how Katrina affected everybody. This seemed to be as bad as not as bad as it could have been, where the flooding and the the waves didn't come in like they had anticipated so far. But the downstream issues with all the circle of rain you know, 85 miles north of the Gulf will all be flowing back through. So uh, just wondered what your thoughts were in uh, the Houston generation area and the Louisiana generation areas. Well, so hurricanes and tropical storms have definite implications for energy markets, without a doubt. Um, those implications, though, have, I think, changed pretty dramatically since, you know, you referenced Katrina which was followed very closely by Rita, a couple of uh, Category 5 storms that hit the Gulf Coast in 2005. When, when those storms came through, they did, there was a couple of key things that is somewhat of an outlier. One, they did lasting damage to, to pr production infrastructure. So typically when you hear about hurricane shut-ins, it's due to they, they evacuate personnel off of these platforms that are producing natural gas and crude oil in in the gulf of mexico katrina and rita were the only storms in modern history to actually do enough damage to that infrastructure to knock off supply through december and beyond uh following that hurricane season so that's that's why you saw natural gas prices go up to 15 dollars per mb2 all-time record highs at henry hub following those storms the other big difference between then and now 
at that point, the U.S. relied on the offshore Gulf of Mexico for around 20 percent, maybe 15. Don't quote me on the number exactly. But a large percentage of overall production did come from that part of the, the U.S. And we're, we were production strapped at that point in general. So losing all of that was a, a big deal for the market. Uh, fast forward to 2020, we've seen you know the Marcellus shale blow up. We've seen the Permian shale in West Texas and Haynesville, other parts of the country. We've moved all this production inland. So now, as opposed to 15 or 20 percent of 50 BCF per day, now we're getting about two to three percent of 90 BCF per day from offshore. So we're we're producing so much less out there that even if we did devastate infrastructure, it wouldn't have near as big of an impact on the overall market. Um, so from a production standpoint, yes, it's a risk if any supply you bring out of the market carries implications. But from a proportional standpoint, it's not near as big of a deal as it used to be. And moreover, we've built out so much gas fire generation since then. We've built export facilities on the Gulf Coast the potential impact is actually stronger on the demand side as the storm comes on on coast and knocks out power, brings lower temperatures, you're gonna see demand destruction, disrupting exports, et cetera, uh, that will very easily overshadow fundamentally the production that you could potentially lose. So with the, the big caveat, as long as you don't do lasting damage to production infrastructure on a, a net basis, Hurricanes are bearish for pricing or for, for market fundamentals, um, hmm. which is very counterintuitive and not the way the market treats it a lot of times leading up to the storm. But when you actually do the math, you're going to lose more demand than you're going to lose supply. That's a paradigm shift. <laughs> yeah. I never thought yeah. of it. I mean, even right now, LNG exports, we've talked about on previous podcasts, are already depressed. They're coming back. Uh, as global pricing improves, but we're losing, last I checked, we had about 60% of Gulf of Mexico gas production shut in, which is a grand total of 1.7 BCF per day. We've seen LNG exports since last week down 2.2 BCF per day. So just that that cancels out the loss in production right there. The paradigm of, of that is just uh, kind of, kind of changed the way I've looked at energy. You know, I'm always thinking of you know, the storms, how how it creates such chaos in the, in the business. But uh, I appreciate the analogy, Andy. And uh, truth be told, I think it's a little more comforting knowing that uh, when the usage comes down, we're still uh, able to keep the people in power, with power. Yeah, and, you know, you'll see if prices happen to be up, on the day that the hurricane makes landfall like today, you'll see headlines in the financial press and say natural gas prices up as Hurricane Laura slams the Gulf or something like that. But sure. it just makes, it's, it's a very convenient, easy story to write, but it doesn't make it true necessarily. There's all kinds of different things that are driving prices. And it, you know, there could be some psycho psychological impact for sure, um, you know, where people see the hurricane coming, oh, we better buy gas. Um, but when it all shakes out, typically you'll see the dust settle and prices end up maybe even where they were before the storm or even a little lower. Yeah, that says to me it's a uh, opportunity to short the market. Yeah, by uh, was it by the rumor, sell the event. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's just I I 
could absolutely see the psychology of it and people still not understanding that the hurricane doesn't have the effect that it once did and, in fact, has the opposite effect. Well, we've certainly uh, talked about the heat and the rain. What's the forecast for the future with the snow coming in uh, the next uh, six months? I'm just looking forward to having some fall weather here. I don't want to think about the winter yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, a long, hot summer. <laughs> yes, yeah, Steve, I don't know about you. I haven't seen any detailed winter forecasts come out yet. Usually those will start trickling out in September, especially October when major outlets start kind of putting their stake in the ground. This is what kind of winter we expect. Well, I think we, I think if there's any last comments, uh, we should share those now, but uh, I appreciate uh, our guest, uh, Steve, as always a pleasure. Thanks for having yeah. me. I enjoyed it as always. Uh, yeah, shared some great information. Thanks. Andy, anything from, from the dad? <laughs> no, we were up up with uh, Louie last night. That's why I was a little late joining. I had to make coffee. He was uh, he, he's sleeping without uh, being swallowed right now, so he was a little restless last night. But you know, we're, we're working through it. <laughs> uh, it's it's all good around here for sure. Uh, just a little tired in the mornings. Wonderful. Well, again, congratulations and uh, thanks everybody for the time today and I look forward to chatting with everybody next time. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the Energy Connection Podcast brought to you by My BFF Social. Be on the lookout for our next episode to ensure you are always staying connected to everything energy.